back to the Early Weigh-In Podcast. This week, UFC 276, T-Mobile Arena, International Fight Week. we got two big title fights on the line. First up in the main event, defending champ Israel Adesanya making his fifth title defense against Jared Cannonier. We move down to the co-main event where it's a trilogy fight between featherweight champion Alexander Volkanovsky, former champion Max Holloway. As well, man, Sugar Sean opening up the pay-per-view is always nice. We've got the number one contender fight between Strickland and Alex Perea. Extremely great night of fights, man. Hopefully we can find some spots to get your boy back on track here. As far as last week goes, you were completely right. Grease ball of a decision in the main event between two high-level prospects. You know, the judges did agree on the scorecards for once, which was nice, but they did kind of go back to the old ways where it was more, you know, control over damage, which had not been rewarded in the weeks prior. Um, but, you know, looking back, very high-level prospects. Somebody probably shouldn't have been that big of an underdog to begin with. And he wasn't the only underdog to cash this weekend either in Cage Warriors, PFL, um, and Bellator. All three of the other main events, underdog cash there. A lot of money be made for, for Vegas this weekend. But before you and I get into this pay-per-view, as always, man, go ahead and let them know how we finished up last week. Yeah, we'll start off with your card first. And your biggest play of the night was a parlay between uh, Nurmagomedov and Rachmanov, both to win. Both of them covered their price tag and uh, definitely their best player of the night. Uh, you also had two parlays with Saryukin as one of the pieces. Maybe should have gotten that nod, but ultimately, like you said, maybe too close to be putting in the parlay. Um, the Chris Curtis, you had a TKO round two and round three. He was digging those shots to the body of Vieira. I thought that they were going to pay it towards the end, but he just never found the finish. Uh, you ended up minus 3.17 units. Uh, definitely something that you can come back from. Uh, going over to my card, my biggest bet of the night was Tiago Moises over Christoph Tiagos. I put four and a half units on it, and thankfully he didn't make it a sweat right. at all. Um, first round submission, super happy about that one. And then Chris Curtis versus Rodolfo Vieira, another one where it was like, the line continued to move as the week went on, and then finally you got a minus 120 price tag before fight time. Jumped on that one, and, uh, <laughs> you know, sadly, motivated JP buys just didn't come through, man. I, I really wanted to see him get the dub, but uh, he got absolutely dominated by Cody Durden and uh, probably won't be seeing him in the UFC any longer. I ended up the night plus 4.66 units, and uh, one I want to keep on rolling into next week. Our main event is for the middleweight strap between Israel Adesanya taking on the challenger Jared Cannonier. Adesanya kind of finally taking on some new blood in this yeah. division. Uh, unfortunately, this is looking like the easiest fight since Paolo in 2020. Cannonier, absolute anomaly. Rarely do you ever see somebody with his level of athleticism and then add on the fact that he can stay super competitive and even get a knockout against UFC level guys up at the heavyweight division. Um, he's rightfully earned his title shot here, but I, I really think that that says a lot more about the state of the middleweight division than it does anything Clean else. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll get into it a little later on, but there's a 5 and one kickboxer that's fighting for the middleweight strap with a win this weekend. Um, I won't go through Cannoneer's whole middleweight record, but I honestly think that his best win might have been in 2020, the, the 2022 Gastelum that we know, who was 1-4 in, in his last five fights going into that bout. And it just doesn't hold a lot of weight for me. If you know anything about Izzy coming into this fight, you know he's going to use his length to stay on the outside, his movements to get his opponents to chase, and uh, those feints to expose the openings in his opponent's defenses. But I, I just can't think of an instance where Cannonier stops him from doing those exact things, man. 
Uh, he doesn't have the footwork to cut off the cage for, of Izzy. He doesn't have the speed to, to catch Izzy clean or the wrestling chops to control takedowns that he might attempt, you know? Um, after these few last few main events, I got to be more realistic with the possibility that anyone can lose on a given <laughs> night. Um, so in a perfect world, I think Jared could land powerful shots towards the end of rounds that could uh, score heavy in the judges' eyes. Izzy has been known to coast in those rounds as well. Um, and I think Jared could have some success if he mixes in those takedowns, but I do think that it's going to be hard for anybody at 185 to hold down and control Izzy. Um, ultimately, I'm going to be going with Izzy as my pick, rightful favorite being the longer, younger, more skilled fighter of the two. Um, but I will not be laying four to one on him. I think that there's a couple other ways that you might could could play him, but the money line, I just don't see the value. It being MMA, it, the judges being how they have been, um, I don't see much value over an 80% win rate. I got you, man. So as far as picks and how we see this fight, you and I are going to come out on the on the same side here. And it, it's hard for me not to bet Ezreal almost every single time. The guy's been my guy since coming into the UFC. You know, UFC's got him and Max Holloway on the card together again. If they were anywhere close, you know I would be there. Um, Israel, it's been damn near perfect. You know, he's 11-1 in the UFC so far with the lone blemish when he's trying to go up to capture a second belt at light heavyweight. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are very, very few guys that come to mind and have had much success, you know, going up from middleweight to light heavyweight. Um, you know, you, you pretty much touched it. The breakdown's pretty simple, man. You know, I think on, on the feet, Izzy's just going to have his way with Cannonero. Um, there's nobody in the UFC more technical on the feet than Izzy. He's in the T-Mobile arena with a big cage for that footwork, real patient behind his jab. And the way Cannonero just plots forward, man, he's going to be there to be hit. Leg's going to get chewed up like Costa. You know, a lot of the same things. And where the game plan is always to come in and wrestle him, Outside of Blockwitz, who was 40 pounds heavier on fight night, no one's been successful in doing so. Marvin Vittori, Brunson, Whitaker, they all have a much better wrestling, grappling game than Jared Cannonier. They don't have success taking Izzy down, keeping him down, holding him down to make it, you know, way on the scorecards. Cannonier's not going to have success here. And then just look at the way Jared's been hurt on the feet by Whitaker, dropped by Brunson, and, and, you know, even finished by Dominic Reyes. And I don't think any of those guys have near the level of striking that he's going to see in the cage on Saturday night. The way he kind of, like you, like I said, plots forward recklessly, doesn't have the sharpest defense. If he walks with his hands down like he did against Kute Laba trying to put on a show, man, is he's going to put this guy away? The minus 400 money line on FanDuel, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy to pass on that. Earlier in the week, they had his TKO and decision at down to minus 260 for never being, you know, he doesn't have a submission win on his record. It's definitely a nice change in price, but... It's definitely getting up there, and as crazy as these main events and shaky as they've been lately, passing on this number is not hard to do. In our co-main event, featherweight straps back up for grabs between Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway in their trilogy fight. Very few times do you see guys fight you know, twice before where the result is the same, and you're completely okay with it being booked a third time. You know, These guys have 100% submitted themselves as the top two 145ers, and it's a hard sell that if you if you run this fight a hundred times that anybody wins it more than like 60, 65 percent, you know, uh, percent of the time there. With Volk, last time, man, the dude looked practically unbeatable. You know, I know it was against a Korean zombie who he was just completely, you know, better than, but he just looks so accurate with his shots, man. And the way he tears up your lead leg, his fight IQ is off the charts, his speed being so small. 
And then even, you know, the championship ability to, like, be down two rounds to Max Holloway and make those adjustments to come back and win the, the last three. It's what it's everything you want to see in a model champion. You deep in Brian Ortega's submissions, fighting his way out of them. Um, and, and, you know, the same can be said for Max, man. Absolute model champion, great dude inside and outside. You know, his boxing is absolutely off the charts and really overwhelms you with the pace and a volume that just melts guys down the stretch. And, you know, last time he mixed in a head kick, that kind of wobbled Volk a little bit. Volk's being the shorter guy, it's something he does have to deal with. He's been the only time he's been finished was by a head kick. I think it was in like welterweight or something, but it's something that he has to do. Something that I think Max probably should mix in the game plan here, because if he's just going to keep this fight on the feet, I don't see if it's going to be anything different. Truly, you know, I think Volk's probably still going to get the better of him. He's much more defensively sound than Max, and reminiscent of Emmett versus Cater if Max is out there with his you know short little pitter-patter jabs and Volk coming over the top with the power judges still tend to favor that down the stretch so the pick's going to be Volkanovsky despite Max being my boy um I think it goes to full 25 minutes again because I've seen each other's weapons so many times but I think yourself has a little different take there yeah man I'm, I'm just going to rattle off some things like you said Volk striking has never looked better better Max has always been super hittable. In fact, holds the record for most absorbed strikes in the UFC. And he's now technically in his 30s. Um, Max dropped Volk two times in their previous matchups. And nobody in the world is on the under here. I know Vegas has been cleaning house recently. And this is a small sample size. But for what it's worth, the UFC has had 24 trilogy fights under its name. And 21 of those 24 trilogies have had at least one of their bouts end inside the distance. For me, I see two of the best fighters in the world who have had nearly an hour of fight time with their opponent, three years to think about it, and they're peaking at the same time right now. Fighting is fighting, and I don't think that the winner of this bout automatically means that they're the better MMA fighter, but I got a feeling that somebody's got the read and somebody's getting slept, man. And we're getting plus 150-ish on fight doesn't go the distance, 40% implied odds. I really like it. All that being said, I do think that I'm going to slightly favor Volk here. Um, I think he'll look look to mix in his grappling more than he has in their previous matchups, and it'll just add another layer for Max to think about. With Volk's cardio, I don't worry about the additional grappling slowing him down even in the later rounds. And um, for Max, I think he's good enough to stand with Volk. He just needs to put more pop on his shots. Um, you know, if he does end up catching Volk with one of those clean shots, I would hope that Max looks to capitalize more on those moments than he has in the past where he just smiles and points at yeah. him like, I got you. Um, if, he, if he capitalizes on those moments, I think that that's also his uh, biggest critique that I could make moving forward. Um, hard to make a play on either money line, but I got to think that the value is on Max at a fight that we right. both kind of see as 50-50. Um, I prefer to play the fight doesn't go the distance because, like I said, I think one of these guys will have a read and everybody and their mom is on the over. So I do have a play on this fight, but it's not on the money line. You're right. Both decisions have been somewhat greasy. You don't know who's winning when they hit the scorecards, and I don't know if I want the minus 180 ticket in my hand when that's happening. Mm -hmm. We always like to talk about the third fight for a pay-per-view, and that one is in the middleweight division between Sean Strickland versus Alex Pereira. And, uh, you know, this whole lead up to this fight, I thought I'd be on the Sean Strickland side, especially at that plus money. Mm -hmm. But I just don't have it in me right now to try and fade the UFC's marketing campaigns anymore, <laughs> man. Chase Hooper, Jeff Molinas, Adrian Yanez, and Pereira right here, all recent examples of, the UFC, of guys at the UFC's pushing from a marketing perspective. And it's been a bad idea to try and challenge that. 
Plus, you look at who Sean Strickland is and the type of things he says online. I, I love that the UFC is all for free speech, but that doesn't make me believe that they're going to be picking favorable matchups for the guy whose main talking points are murder, pedophilia, and trans rights. I, I think right now, you know, it, it's... I hate to get too conspiracy theory, but it is Pride Month, and I know that there would have to be a lot of a lot of people that would love to see Sean Strickland get slept right now. Um, he is up against a legitimate kickboxer here in Alex Pereira. Key word being kickboxer. Uh, Alex Pereira is five and one in MMA and has been relatively untested in his ground game. If this were a matchup between Robert him and Robert Whitaker or him and Marvin Vittori, I think it would be the easiest max, max bet of the century because I wouldn't be questioning whether or not they would look to expose the the wrestling deficiencies of this pure striker. That's not the case with Sean, man. Sean has a lot of ego involved in his game, and he's not afraid to admit it. Until this weekend, there was one thing I could guarantee you is that you weren't going to see many, if any, takedown attempts from Sean Strickland. I mean, he openly trash-talked about how, quote-unquote, gay wrestlers are <laughs> with their fight style, and if you're not standing up trading, you're a pussy. And, and now people are wanting me to believe that, that D1 Sean is about to show up here. I don't think so, man. Even if Sean does manage to get the fight to the mat, I doubt that he has the top game to score significant control time or damage for that for that matter the wrestling might just be used as another thing for Pereira to think about but as far as scoring I doubt that it'll play much of a factor in a fight where I expect 10 minutes or more of it to take place on the feet I am going to go with the more polished striker of the two with more power and a push from the UFC brass so uh, give me Pereira I don't necessarily love laying the juice on him but um, if you can get him at evens I do think that the the coin flip would go his way more often than not. So, yeah, I'm going to be on the other side of you here, man. It's Sean Strickland. Uh, it is the number one contender fight, and it it kind of it does tell you the state of the middleweight division, but in my opinion, it tells you the state of who the champion is, man. You know, he's absolutely cleaned out the division, beaten multiple guys, you know, twice. Um, and when you look down through the rankings, these really are the only guys that are on a win streak right now. Strickland, dude's been on a tear since coming back up to middleweight since the motorcycle accident. He's still only 31 years old. Um, vastly improving, man. You know, we always talk about what he does in the gym, whether it's American Top Team, whether it's, um, you know, an extreme couture and stuff, um, syndicate. And the dude is just always fighting, sparring with some of the best in the world. Magomed, uh, Francis, you know, even goes down to spar with Vittori and people like that. And if you look online, he's been out in American Top Team sparring with a world champion European kickboxer as well. So I know the guy's ego is it's tough to deal with. I know his mouth and makes him not a fan, you know, for a lot of people, but I, I, I would bet my money on it that he has taken this fight as serious as possible. He knows he is next in line for Israel Adesanya. If he can get through this guy, he is greatly coached by Eric Nick sick. And I mean, UFC needs to cut him if he does not go out here and shoot a takedown, you know, it, it, it's the blueprints there, man. Michaelitis takes you know, almost the entire round off of him, you know, and, He's 0-3 in the UFC, probably cut. You know, Bruno Silva, who is a cut-and-dry striker, 20% of the fight controls Alex Perea. And for Strickland to be the number four middleweight in the world, I know he possesses the skill set for it. I know he's been working for it in the training camps. And when you look back at his Uriah Hall fight, he was willing to mix it up a little bit with Uriah Hall, who is a, a, another good striker, you know, who has that power to bonk you and put your lights out when you least expect it. And he lands a takedown in rounds two, three, four, and five. So... 
Hall, I, you know, a guy we'll talk about here in a little bit. The guy's never been submitted in his pro career. He holds like a, like a 70% takedown defense throughout a long UFC career. I think Sean's going to land some takedowns here, man. But if he is stupid enough to stand in the middle and exchange jabs with a world-class kickboxer, I think I think Sean has potential to get slept, man. You know, Prey has got an unreal frame for the division. Some of the nastiest strikes I see, everything is just so technical. The way he throws his hooks, it's just right behind the opponent's high guard. Um, and you always talk about his power. Everyone's going to talk about the Thomas Powell fight, you know, on Fight Pass. I looked at the, the actual times yesterday. Six minutes, 27 seconds is when the knockout comes. At 13 minutes and 10 seconds, they announce Alex the winner next to an unconscious body and just cut the thing. So legitimately, almost seven minutes later, this guy is unconscious. And again, a lot of people would probably like to see that for Sean Strickland on Saturday as well. So it does make me nervous. But at plus 100, man, um, if I were to pass on the number four middleweight at plus 100, fighting a 5-1 and one kickboxer and he wins, I'd almost, I'd almost slap myself come Sunday morning. All right, so for my fight of the night, uh, I had to pick the future Ian Gary taking on his toughest test to date against Gabe Green. Ian Gary been on an absolute tear since entering the UFC with back-to-back wins over Jordan Williams and Darian Weeks. As he showed in his UFC debut, Gary has an excellent uh, sense of distance management, similar to other fighters out of Ireland. Uh, He loves to use that slip counter. And even in his regional scene fights, you you see a ton of Gary just standing right outside of his opponent's range and picking them apart with his long jabs and those leg kicks. Um, He'll definitely have an aggressive dance partner with Gabe Green on the other side of the octagon. I feel like Gabe has a very similar style to Santiago Ponzinibbio, just pressure, pressure, pressure. And Definitely not the prettiest of performances, but always entertaining and will always fight for your money. In a fight that I see being full of violence, I actually think that this will be one that goes to the judges. Um, On one hand, I could see Gary landing the much cleaner shots that that keep Gabe at the end of his punches Mm -hmm. and kicks for 15 minutes. Um, Probably not knocking him out. Gabe does have an incredible chin, which we saw on display in the uh, Daniel Rodriguez fight. And on the other hand, I could see Green being much more physical of the two, pushing Gary up against the cage, making the fight dirty, not really giving him a chance to breathe. And and then you have to bank on the judges scoring for strikes in the clinch and control on the fence. So I don't really like either side from a betting perspective. Uh, Officially, I'll pick Gary, but um, I don't want to lay the juice on him. So I'm debating on laying the fight goes to decision at minus 110. I think that both these guys are tough enough that uh, they won't be getting finished on Saturday. I don't necessarily hate that goes to distance play, but I'm going to ride Ian Gary until the brakes fall off of these type of numbers, man. Uh, you know, a lot of shit for him. He kind of gets put on it for that debut performance early where he was kind of letting Jordan Williams kind of get the best of him. But dude's 23 years old, man, and, and Madison Square Garden with the eyes of the world on him, you know. Um, and then we can't really leave out the fact that Jordan Williams was on the contender series three times. UFC wanted him. You know, he knocked out Robocop at 185 pounds. The UFC knew this guy was going to come after Ian, Ian early and test him. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the last time out, you got to see him go the full three rounds and not get that quick finish. And that's only going to help a 24-year-old now grow as a fighter. I think on the feet, I think he's going to win 100% of the minutes against Gabe Green. I think he's twice the striker here. The way he manages that distance you talk about, Gabe's going to have to close it, and he closes it recklessly. I think that fadeaway right hand is going to be there all night for him. But he does kind of back away with the chin in the air, and if, if Gabe Green is willing to put eat one and still throw two or three more, he might be able to catch that chin. Um, but I'd see a lot of people saying the general consensus is Gabe you know, should probably try to wrestle here, and I'm just not so sold on him being able to do so. You know, 
Darian Weeks is a very, very talented Juco wrestler. The guy had 19 amateur fights as well, and he found zero success wrestling Gary. Um, you combine that with how I watched Johan Linus take down Gabe Green last time a couple times and even get a hold of the neck. I like Ian Gary, man, in this matchup. Gabe Green, um, you know, he's tough. He's willing to bite down and take one, but the chin has let him down a couple times. He's been knocked out, I think, by Jalen Turner and Bellator. And, and even in the Johan Linus fight, I think he woke up when he hit the floor in round one when he got hit. So, man, minus 166 on Gary against these other fringe top 30 guys. I don't think he is the future as, like, a top five, but I think Ian Gary is always going to be that fringe top top 15 fighter. And while the fade spot's around the corner, I don't think it's going to be Saturday night. You add in the marketing perspective, too. Of course the UFC would like to see Ian, the future Gary, win this. Um, on so, the scorecards. Yeah, <laughs> even on the scorecards. You're right. He might even get the nod if it does go to the scorecard. So I'm with you. We're both picking Gary here. For my fight of the night, I'm going to be taking Brad Riddell versus Jalen Turner. City kickboxing squad's traveling, man. You got Brad Revell, uh joining his teammates, both Izzy and Volk, on this card. And, dude, when I look at this fight, it just has violence written all over it. You know, I'm I'm really looking forward to this fight on Saturday. When I look down through the card, it's, it's definitely one of the ones that stick out the most to me. Brad Riddell, world-class striker, you know. Um, but, my God, is this guy going to have to close some distance on Saturday? I, I think it's an 8-inch height disadvantage. And while the reach advantage is only like four inches, that is going to be even more pronounced, you know, once they stand across from each other in the cage. Um, so really, how does Riddell win this, man? You know, he's got to do two, one of two things, in my opinion. He's got to wrestle the way Matt Frivola did. I don't think he has that level of wrestling. Um, I don't think he has a gas tank to be able to do that. And if he does try to get to the floor, man, Jalen's got a, a black belt on the mat that I really think he can cause some issues with. So then your only other option is to close that distance by biting down and slinging some big hooks. And if he if he has no sense of urgency, man, you know he's just gonna get stuck on the outside of Jalen Turner. I think here, um, who's gonna be able to use that octagon, use his reach, and and potentially you know even stretch this fight out. Um, for Jalen, he's got to protect the chin. If Brad's willing to you know slip that jab, get in there, throw a couple hooks to the body, get his hands down before he goes up top. Jalen, he cuts a shit ton of weight for 155 pounds. He's massive, and he's been TKO'd in three of his five losses before. And I promise you, Riddell. Dude, if Riddell clips him, it's, it's going to hurt him. But the Jalen that I'm seeing in the octagon lately is, is vast improving, you know, and he, and he is a southpaw uh, fighter here, which a lot of people think comes with a lot of natural advantages. He loves that, you know, head kick and his teeth kick, which should keep Brad Riddell on the edge. And, and also being the southpaw, it's going to take away the calf kick that you would want to chop down at them little bitty legs that he has. Uh, and then, you know, when guys do try to close that distance on him, man, he's great in the clinch being so tall. He's got massive knees up the middle and, I think those knees are going to come in handy here against Brad Riddell, whether he's hurting him with them or, you know, whether he catches Brad shooting um, with one of those knees. Jalen just kind of seems to be on a roll um, right now. It's hard to go against the physical advantages that he's going to have when I see the fight that's probably going to play out on the feet. The guy's four-fight win streak right now finished him all inside the distance. I think he's going to make it five on Saturday, man. I, I think I'm going to roll with the tarantula Jalen Turner. For my fighter to watch, I gotta we gotta talk about Sean O'Malley, man. Yeah. Um, we we were big fans of him. We still are, but uh, I don't know. After the Marlon Vera antics, we kind of kind of hopped off his hype train, you know. Here he's finally taking on the first ranked opponent in his career, and you know you kind of use ranked loosely when you're one and four in your last five. Uh, Pedro Munoz. Not really the the best level of competition that Sean should be facing, but definitely a step up from what we have been seeing. 
I think Sean's got him covered in just about every area. I know a lot of people are talking about Munoz's black belt, but we've seen Sean uh, go and, and grapple some some really good yeah. grapplers in the past. That he's been entering a couple of submission or grappling tournaments. He submitted Takanori Gomi. Uh, that's more than enough to tell me that he's going to be safe if this fight does reach the mat. Um, on the feet, he's he's the most dangerous fighter in the division, in my opinion. Um, he's so long, he's so fast, and uh, he's just not there to get hit. Um, I, I know that Munoz's his claim to fame is uh, leg kicks. I don't think that that's going to be present with Sean O'Malley here, and I think Sean would switch stances before yep. he um, takes too much damage from the leg kicks. I think that Sean's also going to have a massive speed advantage here, which will ultimately be the downfall of Pedro Munoz. Over 15 minutes, I think that Munoz will get tagged multiple times. I imagine that Sean will be able to find the finish, but Munoz is so tough. Um, It's going to be a tough ask. Um, Thankfully, this fight isn't five rounds. As O'Malley moves up and he does have these five-round fights, I think that he's going to slow down significantly with the the amount of output that he has. Um, But this is not that fight. I do think that he's going to get his first ranked win here. And Munoz is a good guy for him to do it. We see this fight the exact same way, and I know we're both on O'Malley here. I just don't know, due to the durability, if he's going to get that done inside the distance. But yeah, size, speed, everything's on his edge. And when you do bring up the calf kicks, even the Marlon Vera one, that's like a a once-in-a-lifetime thing. That calf's been kicked 500 times since then and not done that. So ability to switch stances, yeah, give me Sean O'Malley on Saturday. Um, Andre Muniz for my fighter to watch, some guy that you're on here uh, as well. He's the second biggest favorite on the card outside of the champ, Israel Adesanya. Um, and it's actually the biggest price you've had to pay on Muniz yet. And you can argue that it's his hardest competition to date. So the bookies are really high on this guy. They do see the potential as well. These two guys, you know, and Uriah Hall and him are just in two different points of the career. Uriah Hall is 37. The win streak he was kind of putting together before Sean Strickland was nothing really impressive if you go through it, you know. Um, and for Muniz, just been on a tear since entering the UFC, finishing, I think, all but one of his fights. And while he seems... You know, to be a pretty one-dimensional fighter, um, I definitely do not want him standing at kickboxing range for 15 minutes with Uriah Hall. Uh, I think I can count on him to shoot the takedowns like he always does. The wrestling, you know, earlier in his career, I didn't really necessarily think it was the best. But in these last two fights against Jacare and Eric Anders, man, he's gone out there and shot these nasty double legs and just put, their, put them on their ass. And I think if he goes out there and does that to Uriah Hall, gets him up against the cage, clings on to him like a little leech like he is, man, 15 of his 22 wins by submission. You leave that arm anywhere, and, and he's going to snatch it up. Um, and then you want to look through Uriah Hall. You know, he's never been submitted in his career, which is a, a good feather to have in your cap. But anybody who's proactively wanted to wrestle him, they pretty much had success. You know, Strong Strickland, I, I brought it up. He's a striker, and he went out there and landed a takedown in four of the five rounds. And Carlos Jr., more than 10 minutes of control time. And you go all the way back to his, you know, days on Ultimate Fighter. You know, he gets beat by Kevin Gastelum due to the wrestling. And so, ACJ, a very similar style opponent to Andre Muniz. So, if you give up t- 10 minutes of control time again here to a guy like Andre Muniz, who's just in his prime, who has plenty of ways to set up his submissions, yeah, I think he actually could submit Uriah Hall for the first time in his career. Yeah, so we're, we're seeing this fight the same way. I think that the UFC gave Uriah Hall his last chance. He's, he's approaching 38 years old. He, they gave him his last chance by setting him up with another striker in Sean Strickland, and he lost. I think we're about to see the downfall of Uriah Hall, and this is just a, a, another prospect in Andre Muniz who will kick off that downfall. 
For my underdog of the night, I'm taking Dricus Duplessis. And I have the same feeling about this one as I did Tiago Moises uh, last last week. This is a setup fight. Like, uh, there's, there's no other way around it. You've got a 28-year-old South African prospect with solid hype, two good UFC wins, and now you're trying to give him someone with slight name value that's over the hill. Um, although Tavares isn't what I would call an elite fighter, he has been in the UFC for over a decade, and this is about to be his ninth pay-per-view appearance. He's coming off of a, a year-long layoff at 34 years old after fighting tooth and nail with Omari Akhmedov, who's no longer in the UFC. This is very similar to the Edmund Shabazian setup fight, in my opinion. He got a young power puncher, quick finishing rates, and... Um, you know, I, I think you're giving a Tavares is a guy who has been finished by TKO in the first or second round three different times. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some reserve betting a, a huge chunk on Duplessis. I'm aware that this is also his biggest step up in competition. Uh, but even with that being true, I do think that there's an argument that this would be one of, if not the biggest ones for Tavares as well. Really, his his record isn't aging that well either. Jerkis has never seen the judges' scorecards in his career, and bookies are hanging out plus money on fight doesn't go to, to decision. Um, I think he's going to be a problem for Tavares with his power. I think that he has the wrestling chops to keep this on the feet if Tavares starts to shoot takedowns. Um, I lined Jerkis at minus 150, and I got in on him at minus 105. So as long as it's under that, I think there's value. With you, man. We both got in on him about the same price tag, and it looks like he's becoming a pretty popular underdog this week here. And I think that line's starting to flip. See it the same way, man. I think he's going to land that nuclear power that he has in that right hand and, and put Tavares away. Fight got moved up to the pay-per-view. I'm going to go Brian Barberina for my underdog here. You know, stylistically, it has fireworks written all over it, and it's got to be a dream come true for Barberina to not have some guy out here shooting 10-plus takedowns on him. You know, Robbie Lawler has landed one takedown since 2014, and it's the flip over his head of Ben Askren. So really wasn't like a takedown entry and setup and everything. But Robbie, I will say, always a great defensive wrestler. The sprawls and things to be able to keep the fight on the feet, amazing. Mm-hmm really offensive wrestling you haven't really seen that throughout his career man so I think this fight takes place on the feet while they're both past their prime I feel I still favor the durability of of Barbarina a bit more here the wars of Robbie really look like they've taken a toll on him and when you see guys who have real good forward pressure like RDA and Colby um, the volume and you know really tends to cause an issue for him even look back at the round one against Nick Diaz Nick Diaz who is 176 strikes wins the wins you know round one on two of the judges scorecards Robbie just struggles with it, man. He can't get past the range. He was getting tagged to the body and just got lucky that Nick showed up out of just way out of shape and couldn't go more than a round, you know. So I think Barb's got that gas tank in him. I think he's going to be able to stay on a Lawler with those um, all three rounds. Kind of like that Max Holloway finish, you know. You see Robbie get pinned up against the cage a little bit in the RDA and the Colby fights. And, and even his fights with Roy McDonald, he kind of gets up against the cage, shells up, takes too many strikes, and... I think we're going to see Barb overwhelm him against the against the cage and get the finish here on Saturday. My prop bet of the week, I've already mentioned it a little bit, it is Gabe Greeny and Gary fight goes to decision. Um, I rarely have this type of read. <laughs> I rarely have it. I think the last one was a J.J. Aldridge fight where they were offering plus money on fight goes to decision. Um, I have to trust it. I, I just don't. I think that Gabe Green has the durability yeah. Um, to take Ian Gary's punches over three rounds. And I think Ian Gary's good enough to not get finished by right. Gabe Green. Um, this one being even money to see the judges, I'm going to have to take a stab on it. 
Yeah, I mean, as he and Eric Gary goes up in competition, those finishes aren't going to be as prevalent as they were, you know, younger in his career. So definitely don't hate that with the way he manages his range. Uh, favorite prop for me, I'm going to go Volkanovski, round four or five decision at or minus 105. Dropped 1.5 units on it. I said it earlier here, it's my way of trying to have not so much of a chalky ticket in my hand when Volkanovski has a good chance of winning this on the scorecards. He's won the first two fights on the scorecards, so I thought it was a pretty generous price tag to begin with. Um, much like Max, incredible volume. I think he could easily go, you know, 10 rounds, honestly, you know, and start to put that pressure on you late. Um, if he does find the finish, I think it's the accumulation of punches that he puts on Max. He's, he seems ultra durable, but you talk about the record he holds for, like, most punches without being knocked down. It's going to come, you know. It's going to come one day. So I do lean Volk by decision, but, um, you know, if he were to get one of those late-round finishes – durability of max sometimes it's going to go sometimes so i like having those championship rounds where volk really been picking up the pace but ultimately i'm going to go volk by decision and i think i'm going to have a minus 105 price tag in my hand for my best bet i will be taking macy barber um, another setup fight initially a setup fight for casey o'neill but instead mm-hmm. i got an even even tougher matchup with macy barber sent to to send her into retirement I has a five and nine UFC record. She's thirty five oh years God. old and has been dropped and has dropped her last three fights at one twenty five. Barber at this point in her career, uh, or is at this point in her career where I feel like we've already seen her deal with the adversity um, of being an extremely young UFC fighter making their way up the rankings. She's fought through. Um, a, a fight with Roxy with a blown out knee. She's gone through 15 minutes with some of the best strikers the division has to offer, like Alexa Grasso. And now she's won two back-to-back 15-minute fights in the UFC against equal or better competition in Miranda Maverick and Montana De La Rosa. This is the time in her career where I think that she breaks through, makes it clear that she's one of the, these top girls in the division. And where she's at at this point in her career, I think all those pieces are kind of coming together. We're only going to see her improve dramatically from this mm-hmm. point on. And I, I feel the exact opposite for I. I think that I is on the decline, and the fact that she's still in the UFC is, is wild to me. So for me, on Macy Barber, I've kind of been on the opposite end of her. I've tried to fade her in her last two with both of those opponents that you just mm-hmm. listed. Um but yeah, this this fight does seem like a great spot for her. Jessica does seem to be on the tail end. I like Macy Barber to win on Saturday too. Best bet, let's stay in the women's divisions, man. I'm gonna give you Jessica Rose Clark at minus one twenty, man. I, I I wish I would yeah, simp for sure. <laughs> I wish I would have got plus one seventy five open on Bet Online. I think that was absolutely absurd and it's just you know, we're seeing a, a just a market overcorrection of her losing to um who was it? Stephanie Egger by like first round arm bar last time out. So Sholi Aranko, she's 0-3 in the UFC, and she's lost all three fights by her inability to, you know, get the grappler off of her. Yana Kunitskaya put her on the cage for 13 of the 15 minutes, and she couldn't even get off the cage. And she gives up the rear naked choke to Julia Vila in the third round, and then in the last round, or in the last fight with Alexis Davis, Alexis Davis needs one takedown in rounds one and three to, to easily take this fight. So I will say, you know, she got on barred last time out. Julia Storyrenko has about 87 arm bars on her record. And so that does make me a little bit worried because the moment the fights with Alexis Davis and Yana hit the ground, she was working for that arm bar. But you got to think Jessica has addressed that issue, plans to stay safe here. Um, on the feet, I think Jessica's going to win this fight. She's a very physically strong girl and should be able to bully Jaleja around in a lot of these clinch situations. Um, bring up Jaleja 
falling off the back of the scales and things. Her weight cut is never really that good for 135. I expect her to kind of fade down the stretch in that grappling and pace of, of Jessica Rose Clark to take over. She's marketable. You know, she's hot. And kind of like you said in the UFC, if this goes to the scorecards and it's close, I think they're going to give it to the pretty girl who had the grappling upside. Give me Jessica Rose Clark for my best bet. And now for our quick pick section. We start off the night with a bantamweight bout between Jessica Rose Clark and Jeljua Stoliarenko. I'm going to have to go Jessica Rose Clark here. Yeah, man. She's my best bet. Give me Jessica Rose Clark. And for moving up second fight, middleweight division, Brad Devaris, Dreykus Duplaces. I'm on Dreykus as well, man. Give me give me him as a knockout. Was an underdog pick. No longer an underdog pick. We're all, I'm also on Dreykus Duplessis here. Um, moving on to the flyweight division, we have Jessica I versus Macy Barber. Macy Barber is my best bet. I think she rolls. Yeah, man, she's the first leg of your parlay, and she, I might end up getting there with you. I'm going to go Macy Barber. Second leg of the parlay that we're thinking about, Andre Muniz. I think he, I think he has real potential to sub Andre or, or uh, Uriah Hall on Saturday if he's able to get the same amount of control time Hall's been giving up lately. Yeah, a little bit of a setup fight here. I think Muniz is the side as well. Um, and we have a welterweight fight. We might have should have brought up, but it's, it's Donald Cerrone versus Jim Miller. I think this being at welterweight benefits Donald. I'm going to lean Donald Cerrone at the price tag here. I was done breaking down Donald Cerrone fights, you know, for him to fall apart. But this price tag on him at welterweight, like you talked about, is a little absurd. At this stage, do I want to back him? I don't know, but I'm seeing like a plus 400 decision line out there that I do kind of like. Ian Gary versus Gabe Green. I'm going to go Ian Gary. He might touch the chin, but I do lean for you, um, kind of like you, stay safe for the full 15. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna go Gary as well. I don't love it, but I'll go Gary. Uh, moving on, we go to lightweight Brad Riddell versus Jalen Turner. Uh, I'm going Brad Riddell here. I think we're going to have the first split of the night. I'm going to go with Jalen Turner. Uh, I think the reach and thing is going to be a hard, hard to get by. Robbie Lawler versus Brian Barbarina, kicking off the main card it looks like here. I took my dog in Brian Barbarina, man. Ooh, we I don't know. <laughs> I don't see this fight going to the scorecards. Yeah. I think we've talked about it, but I, I'll go with you. I think Brian Barbarina, especially at the price tag, is the side. Uh, moving on to Bantamweight, we have Pedro Munoz versus Sean O'Malley. I think Sean O'Malley rolls here. Yeah, me too, man. I'm trying to see the dribble between the legs. Mm-hmm. Flash, knockout, that'd be nice. Uh, Sean Strickland, Alex Preya. I think we're going to have another disagreement here, man. Plus 100, number four middleweight in the world five and one kickboxer man i'll take plus 100 all day on sean strickland i'm uh yeah i'm fading the ego sean i'm taking <laughs> alex Pereira here and then the co-main event we have alexander volkanovsky versus max holloway my pick to win is volkanovsky i hate saying it man max has always been my dude but i think volkanovsky is one of the most underappreciated but yet most talented champions on the roster um, going to stay with the New Zealander, Israel Adesanya. I think he's going to knock Jared Cannonier out in the championship rounds on Saturday. This will be four Aussies in a row that I'm picking. I've got Israel Adesanya as well, and I think everybody from Australia is going to roll. Nice. I appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Hop in the comments there. Let us know who you guys have in the main event, in the co-main event. we got 12 fights, weigh-ins on Friday. We'll see you guys on Saturday. Peace.